Now, before the summertime, uh, and before our series that we did, uh, 15 Hymns Every Christian Should Know, uh, we were working our way through the book of Acts, following the good news of Jesus Christ as it spread outward from Jerusalem uh, to the entire world. One of the most unlikely characters in the entire Bible is the Apostle Paul. Before we go any further, i got to ask the children, because we've got some children here. I know that uh, we've got a couple of them scattered, most of them here in the front. Uh, but I want to ask the children. So kids, I want to ask you guys first. I want you to tell me. I want you to answer to me for a minute here, okay? What do you know about the Apostle Paul? Do you know anything at all about the Apostle Paul? Anything you know? I don't know. And 
In that time, Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians and a murderer, has become a Christian himself. And he has endured persecution, right? And he has traveled in many different places, and he has told people about Jesus Christ, and he has tried over and over and over again to go to the city of Ephesus. But he's never... He's never been able to get there. God has always had some other plan, has always sent Paul somewhere else. But now, when Paul begins his third missionary journey, he comes to the city of Ephesus. And when he comes there, he finds a group of disciples. So here's what I'd like for you to do. If you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, and I'd like for us to read these two verses together. Okay? Kids, you too, I'm going to put them up on the screen so you can read these verses. Right, we're going to be looking at all of the first seven verses of Acts 19 this morning. But I'd like to read verses 1 and 2 together. So kids, if you can read, look up at the screen and you can read along. And everyone else, you can read it off the screen or read your Bible. However you like, it's fine, it's all the same. All right, here's what it says. Let's read it together nice and loud. Ready? And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. All right, now kids, I got some questions for you today, so you're going to have to really be thinking so you can answer my questions, okay? And I know that some of them are over here, but Nikita, or Nikita, I'm sorry, I called you your sister's name. Callie, if you don't answer, you can answer too. And Ava is up here. You can answer, too, if you know the answer to my question, okay? So I want you to think about this. Paul asked them this question, right? You can see it in the verse, the last part of the verse there. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What was Paul asking them here? What was Paul asking these disciples? What did he want to know? Nikita? Okay. Why did he want to know that? Why would Paul ask them about receiving the Holy Spirit? That seems like a weird question. Here's another one for you that I want you to think about and answer this one. How did they respond? What did they say? Look at the next verse. What did they say? They said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So why, why do you think that they said they had never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit? Michael, why do you think that? Why, why would they have said that they didn't even know, they never heard whether there was the Holy Spirit. Hard question to answer. Okay. Alice did it twice. Callie? They didn't know. They didn't know? Okay. Paul asked them a question. They said kind of what Michael said. You know? I don't know. Right? Paul asked them. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? Right? They were confused. So they answered Paul, but not really. They didn't really know. What's interesting here is that when Paul first met them, he, they call, he calls them here, Luke calls them here, disciples. Right? Finding some disciples. When Paul first met them, they appeared to be Christians, just like Paul. But there was something different about them. When Paul met them and he maybe began to talk with them a little bit, he, he realized there was something different. So he asked them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a very important question. 
if they claimed to believe in Jesus, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, then they weren't really Christians. That's important for us to understand. Even today, it's possible for someone to say that they believe in Jesus, but not truly be saved, not truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. What's the difference? The real difference between a real or the difference between a real Christian and someone who falsely claims to be a Christian is the genuine believer will have the Holy Spirit of God living within. This is the difference between someone who says they're a Christian and isn't and someone who truly is a Christian. This is the difference. The genuine believer will have the Holy Spirit of God living within. That's what Paul asked the question of he encounters this group of disciples. They look like Christians. They talk a little bit like Christians. He begins to interact with them. And he notices something off. And so he says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because Paul understood that a real Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. God. The Holy Spirit is God. The, the real Christian has... God himself living within. I mean, this is just, I mean, just, I don't know, when I, even when I say it, it just sounds outrageous. It just sounds unbelievable. Really? I mean, I mean, really, do we as Christians really believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? If you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, I know most of you, and I've heard, I've talked with most of you enough to know that you do call yourself Christians. Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you at this very moment in time? Because that's what Paul understood to be true. If you're a true Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So Paul asked this question to because he was trying to tell if these men were really disciples of Jesus Christ or not. <laughs> and when he asked them, it was kind of like Michael's response. I don't know. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. We don't know. We don't know anything about that. And that answer was a very clear answer to Paul. And they made it very clear that they were not truly followers of Jesus Christ. They claimed to be disciples, but they weren't truly Christians. Now, it didn't mean, by the way, although it, it, when you read it, it sounds kind of like they're saying, we've never even heard of such a thing as a Holy Spirit, right? We didn't know that a Holy Spirit existed. And that's how it's said. I mean, that's exactly how they say it, right? We're not, we're not you know, twisting things up here. That's how they say it. But really, it can't, it can't be that they didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. I mean, if they knew anything about the Old Testament, and if they knew anything about what John the Baptist preached, and clearly they do, as we read a little further on, then they would have known and heard about the Holy Spirit. Because both the 
Testament scriptures and John the Baptist himself when he preached, they both promised that Christ, when he came, would give the Holy Spirit to men. So if they knew any of that stuff and they appeared to know that, then they would have known about the Holy Spirit. Their answer didn't mean that they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit or didn't even know that he existed. Their answer meant they had not heard that the Holy Spirit had come. So here they are, claiming to be followers of the Messiah. But they've never heard about the Holy Spirit coming. 23 years earlier. We're not talking about something that happened last week. Oh, it just hasn't gotten down there. We're going to tell 23 years in the past, and they still haven't heard about it. Okay? If they haven't heard about the Holy Spirit's coming, then I think it's pretty fair for us to say that they had never actually received the Holy Spirit. They were not yet Christians. But Paul wanted to know a little more about these men. So he, he first asked that question and determined by ask, asking that question that these men, though they professed to be followers of Christ, were not truly Christians. And so he asked them another question to try and determine uh, a little bit more about where they were at. This is found in verse 3. So let's look at verse 3. Michael, would you read this for us? Real nice and loud, please. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So this is kind of a weird conversation, don't you think? I mean, Jesus first, or Jesus, Paul first asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit after you believe? Okay, kind of a strange way to start off a conversation. I don't know if you walk up to people on the street and say, by the way, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? Okay, a little bit strange. But that's how Paul started the conversation. He found out that they didn't have the Holy Spirit, they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit's coming, and then he asked them this question, into what then were you baptized? Where is baptism coming from? What? Okay, first the Holy Spirit, now baptism. What is Paul getting at? So, why, why would he ask them? Why would he ask about baptism? Well, there's something we need to understand here. And it was actually something that the puppets told us at the very beginning of the service, right? Yeah, you missed the puppets. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's something that the puppets told us right at the beginning of the service. The primary purpose, in case you want to you get this because this is in your notes, the primary purpose for baptism is identification. The primary purpose of baptism is identification. That's what baptism is really all about, according to the, God, the word God. Baptism is about identification. What Paul was really asking these men when he said, into what were you baptized? He was really asking them, whose followers are you? Who are you following? Okay. Into what were you baptized? Now, that's an interesting question. I mean, someone might say, well, I'm Baptized into the church. Good, then you're a follower of the church. Wonderful. <laughs> That's what that is. These men said, we were baptized into John's baptism. In other words, they're saying we're followers of John. And John, John the Baptist had been dead for quite a while. Herod killed John 
uh, probably a year or two at the most before Jesus died. Okay? So if Jesus died 23 years before this, John died a year or two before that, we're talking almost 25 years, almost a quarter of a decade, has gone, or a quarter of a century has gone by since John was killed. Okay? And these men say, we're followers now, we don't know if these men heard John preach. Maybe these men were there when John was out in the wilderness preaching and great crowds of people were coming to him. Maybe, maybe John actually baptized these men. We don't know. In the Jordan River. I've been there in the Jordan River. And I imagine, I just got a picture in my mind what, what maybe it was like. Huge crowds of people coming to the river. John kind of wild-looking guy, you know, dressed wearing rough clothing. And, and, and well, he ate locusts and wild honey, and he was, he was a little out there, okay? All these people come flocking to John, and, and, and John preaching. You, we had somebody uh, last week, Greg and I were at the fair on uh, Sunday afternoon, and, and was it Sunday afternoon? No, Monday, we were at the fair, sorry. Um, and and uh, we had some, one lady come up to us and ask Greg, she didn't know I was the pastor. She asked Greg if, if the preacher of the church preached hellfire and brimstone messages. I don't know what I do, but, but John the Baptist, I think, did. John the Baptist, that was the kind of guy he was. I mean, he was, he was rough, and he was in your face, and it was, you know, I mean, the Pharisees come out, and he looks at them, and he says, you're a brood of vipers. <laughs> he was like, no old barred kind of guy. And, um, and then John was, so whether, you know, maybe these guys were there. Maybe they heard John preach. Or maybe John baptized them. We don't know, but what we do know is they say, hey, we are followers of John. John baptizes. That's what Paul was saying, right? Whose followers are you? Into what were you baptized? Because baptism is about dedication. And they say, we follow John. But what does that tell us about these men? It tells us that they repented of their sins because John's baptism was all about repentance. John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John was preaching. So these men knew that they were sinners. And they repented of their sins. They turned from sins. We don't, we don't want to be sinners. And they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah to save them. Because that's what people did when they came to John and were baptized by John. That's interesting. Because Paul knew that these men needed more than John's baptism if they would be saved. And so he explained John's message more clearly. Now look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 there in the passage. Then John, uh, then uh, Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Paul goes back to John. I don't know if Paul heard John preach or not. Paul would have been a pretty young man at that time, but maybe he heard John preach, I don't know. But he knew what John preached. He knew the message that John preached. Somewhere along the way, Paul had encountered the teachings of John and had heard something of what he said. But I want you to think of this, and boys and girls, I want you to look at this verse and think about this for a second. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Now, I know it's a long verse. I'm trying to keep it in your head. I'm going to ask you this question. These men that Paul encountered, they had been baptized.
baptized unto repentance, because that was what John's baptism was for. But they were still missing something. What were these men missing? Paul is trying to direct them to something here. What were these men missing? Grace, do you know what they were missing? They've been baptized by John. But that wasn't enough to save them. What did they need? What were they missing? Nikita? Laura? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says here, right? Paul says, listen, John baptized, sure. John baptized the baptism of repentance. And that's fine, that's all well and good. But, Paul says, John preached a message. John's message was that the people should believe on Jesus Christ. They needed to believe on Jesus as the Messiah in order to be saved. I think that's interesting because John didn't tell them they needed to be baptized to be saved. He didn't say that. John didn't tell them they needed to join a church to be saved. John didn't tell them they needed to do good works or turn over a new leaf or be a good person to be saved. John said, okay, you've come and you have repented. You recognize you're a sinner. Now, believe on the one who's coming after you. That's John's message in a nutshell. Now, it's important for us to understand this. These men had been baptized, and yet they were not saved. Because baptism and other religious acts or religious works that we could do will not be enough to save us from our sins. No. And it's not because I'm saying it. It's because John said, you've been baptized. Wonderful. Now believe on Jesus. That's the key. That's what they're missing. The baptism that they did was nice and all. I mean, it was good. It wasn't a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But the baptism that they were baptized with by John didn't save them. Because here they are talking to Paul, and they're not saved. They're not Christians. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And he came 23 years before this. They should have the Holy Spirit, but they don't know. They don't know Jesus Christ. They didn't follow John's message all the way to the end. I, I like the way that uh, 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 John Polhill writes about it. And he says this, The Messiah had indeed come, and he is Jesus. To be a true disciple of John, get this, to be a true disciple of John was to confess Jesus. For he is the one who John heralded. The real deficiency of these men was not their baptism. It was far more serious. They failed to recognize Jesus as the one whom John had proclaimed as the promised Messiah. So Paul came to these men. He realized these men did not have the Holy Spirit. Paul realized there's a problem. These men are not really Christians. Though they may say that they believe they're not Christians. <coughs> They've done religious acts, you know, acts. They've gotten baptized. They're still not Christians. 
because they don't, they, they missed the key element of John's ministry. You know, John was never about bringing people to himself. John said, I must decrease, right? He must increase. That's what John said. It wasn't about John. It never was. John wasn't interested in drawing bigger crowds to himself. He was interested in taking these people that came to see him and turning them to Jesus Christ. If John could have become transparent, he would have. He didn't want anybody to see him. He wanted these people to see Jesus. Somewhere along the line, this group of men missed that. Well, they came and they liked the religious aspect of it. They liked what John preached. Sure, repentance, let's you know turn from sin, that's wonderful, and look forward to the Messiah coming. All that's good. But they failed. They failed to see that John was pointing away from himself. Pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, what do you think happened when what do you think happened when these men heard Paul explain that John was pointing to Jesus Christ? They heard Paul explaining about Jesus being the Messiah, being the one to whom John was pointing. What, what happened to them? Well, let's look at these next verses. Verses 5 through 7 tell us what happened. Verse 5, he says this, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. John the Baptist didn't teach that men needed to be baptized to be saved. He taught that they needed to believe on Jesus Christ to have their sins forgiven. And that is exactly what these men did. These men first, we're told there in verse 5, heard what Paul said. They heard the message of the gospel. These men responded in faith. They heard what Paul said. They were ready. I mean, they had been baptized by John, so they were they already knew they were sinners. They were looking for the Messiah. And Paul said, listen, you're looking for the Messiah. He's already come. You missed him. But it's not too late. He came and fulfilled what John was prophesying, what John was preaching about. And the minute that they heard that the Messiah had come, they believed. They were baptized. They, they, they showed their faith here. They demonstrated it by being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptism, the primary purpose of baptism is identification. So they were baptized, identifying themselves as Christians, as followers of Christ. And then what happened? When they trusted Christ, and they demonstrated their faith by baptism, then a third thing happened there in verse 6. They received the Holy Spirit. When they received the Holy Spirit, that's the proof. That's the evidence. That's the thing that distinguishes the real Christian from the false professor. The real Christian has the Holy Spirit. The person who just says they're a Christian but doesn't know Jesus Christ doesn't have the Spirit. These men now have the Spirit. 
It says that Paul laid his hands on that. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit's coming on them was, was twofold. Here they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Now why do you think they spoke in tongues and prophesied after they received the Spirit? Is that, is that something that is a universal sign? Is there some way that, well, you know, this is the sign that we should look for? If we see this, then we know that we've received the Holy Spirit, therefore that means we're a real Christian. And if we don't see that, then maybe we're not because we haven't received the Holy Spirit. Well, some people use this passage to teach that. And they suggest that that's the case. The problem with that is, is we read the book of Acts. We find that sometimes people were saved and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And sometimes they were saved and they didn't speak in tongues. They didn't prophesy. There's really no reason for us to think that every Christian will speak in tongues or somehow show some other miraculous sign that the Holy Spirit is present. In this particular place, in this particular passage, the context of this part of Paul's ministry and what Luke is telling us here, I think the reason... In this instance, that they showed these signs was to make it very clear that before they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and now they do. No one could say they did, that they had the Holy Spirit before because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and they didn't show any of these signs. Now they received the Holy Spirit, and there's obvious evidence to everyone who was there that these men have now become Christians. That is, I believe, why this is this just happened here in this particular spot. This is important for us to understand because every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not with miraculous signs and wonders, but with power and with life just the same. And so this morning if you're here and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, then according to God's word, you're not really a Christian. You're like these men. You may claim to be a disciple, call yourself a Christian, even walk around and do and say certain things that Christians do and say. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, then you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. You're not a follower of Christ. And what's the solution to that? Well, then you, this morning, need to repent your sin. These men repented of their sin. And you need to trust in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. And only by believing on Him can we be forgiven our sins. And when you do that, when you do that, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will. Because you'll be a truly born again believer in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the mark. Now, I have other scriptures I can look at, but I will tell you this. Um, on the back table next to Albert back there, there is a sheet going deeper in God's Word. has some more details about some of these things in the past that I didn't want to get into this morning. But the back there on the sheet, you might take one with you. You can take it and give it a little bit more in the back on here. Now, before, as we finish, I'd like to just look at three lessons. Three lessons of faith and baptism from this passage this morning. Just three simple observations. These aren't necessarily deep and profound. But I think these are lessons that we need to learn 
truths that will help us to see how we should respond to the Word of God, especially as it relates to the question of faith and baptism. The first one is this, very simply, doing religious things and being a person of faith does not make me a Christian. Doing religious things and being a person of faith does not make me a Christian. These 12 men that Paul met, they did religious things, and they were people of faith. I mean, that's how they would have described themselves, and we probably would have too. But they weren't Christians, because they didn't know Jesus Christ. They were disciples. Their lives reflected their belief in the need for a turning away from sin. And we must repent, turn away from sin. We have to do that. But by itself, repentance is not sufficient. We have to turn to something, someone. It's not enough for us to say, I'm going to just turn away from my sinful life. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm not going to do that stuff anymore. I'm going to make myself a new person. A lot of people realize that they have bad habits in their life, and they have sinful tendencies in their life, and they realize they've made bad choices, and they want to make themselves better, and so they say, you know what? I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm going to choose to do better things. I'm going to make better decisions. I'm going to be a good person. And they follow all sorts of different paths to get there. But all that results in All that results in, if we do that, is that we become moral convicts. Moral convicts, that's it. Well, good moral convicts. The convicts, nonetheless. But we can abide by some sort of moral standard, but that very standard of morality then condemns us before a perfect and holy I don't have time to look at this morning, but you can look up Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. You might even jot that down if you're interested. Paul talks about that. Someone who lives by a moral standard, that moral standard becomes their judge, and they will be condemned by it. But we can make ourselves moral people. We can turn over a new leaf, and it doesn't save us, but it doesn't make us Christian. It may make the world a better place. I suppose the world is a better place if more people follow um, a, a good moral code, even a biblical moral code, you know, follow the Ten Commandments, let's put them up everywhere. Good, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about that stuff. But what I am saying is that does not make someone a Christian. It won't make you a Christian. It won't give you eternal life. If you've never confessed your sinful failures, and believe on Jesus Christ alone to forgive your sins, then nothing else that you do will ever be good enough to overcome your sin and get you a place in heaven. That's the simple truth that we see in the lives of these men that fall in common. The question I ask you then is, will you pray? To Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins and to save you today. That's what these men needed to do. They needed to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. The second lesson is this, that details matter when it comes to understanding the gospel and receiving eternal life. We can't be fuzzy 
on the details. We need to know what the Word of God teaches. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 tells us, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's not just a minor detail whether or not you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. No. It's not a small thing. It's everything. Because according to Romans 8 9, if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian. You say, well, that's a small matter. No. It's life and death. It's eternal life and death. It's the only thing that matters. Do you know Jesus Christ? Is the Spirit dwelling within you? That detail matters. These men heard Paul explain that John was not just establishing another religious order. Paul explained John was directing men to trust in Jesus Christ, and they believed and they were baptized to identify themselves as followers of the true Messiah. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Any church or religion that doesn't point men and women to trust in Jesus Christ alone is not preaching the truth. If you have been taught anything other than simple faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to turn away from that false teaching and take hold of the truth of God's Word to be saved. Lastly, being a Christian means obeying my Lord in both word and deed. Notice there was an action on the part of these men. See, it wasn't enough for them to say that they believed in Jesus. They needed to demonstrate their faith by obedience. And what was the step of obedience? Well, if we look in the New Testament, we learn there is one step of obedience that, that, that the, the Word of God instructs to demonstrate that we are trusting in Jesus Christ alone. One step of obedience is called baptism. For any New Testament believer to be unbaptized was just as unthinkable as a believer who never received the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you're not, if you haven't been baptized, you're not a Christian. But the way that the New Testament presents this, if you become a Christian, then you follow through in obedience. Because that's what faith does. Faith works. So when we believe that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, the Messiah, then we obey. We do it. We're being baptized. There are many today who claim to be Christians, and yet they have never acted in faith and publicly identified themselves as followers of Jesus Christ through believer baptism. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and You've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, but you've never been biblically baptized. Immersed, that's what the word means. You've never been biblically baptized. And isn't it about time that you obeyed the Lord who saved you? It's not any more complicated than that. You don't need to be ashamed to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. I can think of a couple of reasons you might be ashamed to identify yourself in history. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, you don't need to be ashamed to identify with Christ. You don't need to be afraid to identify with one another as a church, as Christians. That's what baptism is about. It's about proclaiming to the world, I have trusted in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And these people here are my brothers and sisters, my family, the church. So I would encourage you this morning to be obedient. And whatever the Lord is leading whatever area the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, I would encourage you to take that step in obedience. Let's close with a word of prayer.